Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. Coming up. There are cases after cases after cases of people who have been in this gap, in limbo, in the Swiss cheese system, where they've gone off and murdered somebody. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson. You're listening to The Daily Crime. February 6th. 2020, 9.30 at night, no provocation, no warning, just gunshots to the heads of two passengers on this Metro Transit bus. One man badly wounded, the other killed. This could have been prevented. Mm -hmm. Yep. In most news stories, could have been prevented. This is where you'd meet the victim's family. So. So you are, but probably not the victim you expect. Geraldine Neighbors is the mom, Brittany Leslie. He was saying that I need help. The sister of Malcolm Leslie, the 26-year-old man on the bus accused of pulling the trigger. His family says the state failed to give him the mental health treatment a judge ordered. And he was unraveling. You could see that. Yeah. Scary. Mm-hmm. What happens to someone who is charged with a crime but then ruled mentally incompetent to stand trial? In Minnesota, a team of investigative reporters at CARE 11 have uncovered a gap or gaps in the system that are leaving thousands without proper treatment and leaving the public at risk. I'm joined by investigative reporter and producer Brandon Stahl at CARE 11 in Minneapolis. Brandon, let's begin by talking about this one case that you highlight in your investigative work uh, having to do with a man by the name of Gregory Ulrich. And then we'll get into the general issue here, and it's a massive one, it sounds like. Tell me about Gregory Ulrich. So Gregory Ulrich um, was, he is a, uh, a severely mentally ill man who lived up in Buffalo, Minnesota, which is about an hour northwest of Minneapolis. And he was quite angry with his medical providers after they cut him off from his opioid supply, uh, suspecting that he was addicted to the medication and no longer needed it. He became so angry that he called his doctor and essentially threatened to, to blow up the clinic to, to do a mass shooting at this clinic. He, the doctor obtained a restraining order against him. Uh, Ulrich, Mr. Ulrich was charged with violating that restraining order by going to a hospital where the doctor worked. And ultimately what happened was that the charge against Mr. Ulrich was dismissed after he was found incompetent to stand trial. And so you have a man who threatens to, to, to do a mass shooting, to cause mass harm, including to target doctor. Um, and then two years after these threats and after the charge was dismissed, basically made good on his threats. He um, walked into a Buffalo, Minnesota clinic uh, earlier this year in February, I believe, and he opened fire. He shot six people, killing one, um, the, the woman who died, you know, had no idea who this person was. She was a mother of two young children, a, a wife, and she went to work that day just like any normal day, and, and she died. 
By the time I got to the hospital, I found out that she had passed away in the OR table. There are gaps here that simply should not be allowed. There's a hole, there's a void that just isn't going to be filled. So we wanted to understand how could this happen? You have somebody who makes these threats, who's been charged in connection to that, and yet is able to carry on with these threats because he was found incompetent to stand trial. It just it didn't make a whole lot of sense to us. And because he was found incompetent to stand trial, he was legally able to purchase a gun. We needed to talk with a man here at the Wright County Jail, whose voice you may not want to hear. We're not looking to give the accused Buffalo Clinic shooter a platform or fame. We're not broadcasting his rationalizations or finger pointing, but some of what he has to say shines a light on the gap that cost an innocent young mom her life. How did you get that gun? Uh, I went to Fleet Farm and just bought it. Nothing came up, nothing flagged when you tried to buy it? Of course not, I had no history. Yeah, Brandon, I have to say, in looking and reading your report and watching some of the the TV coverage that you did on this, I mean, it immediately begged the question, like, if somebody is found mentally incompetent, I don't know, I think most of us just assume then they're getting some type of treatment. Yeah, I guess I assume the same. And what we found was no, the answer is not. In fact, we, you know, we, as we started reporting this, we found that there were about 4,000 cases since 2016 in Minnesota where somebody was charged with the crime, found incompetent to stand trial, and then not ordered to get any kind of mental health treatment. Now, that they could have gotten treatment on their own, but the court has the ability to say, okay, we believe that you are so mentally ill and potentially a danger to the public, yourself or others, that we need you to get, you're, we're going to order you and force you to get treatment. But the courts didn't do that with these two, uh, these cases in Minnesota. So, you know, we then started to look and ask, well, okay, what are the ramifications of that? We, you know, we, the challenge that we had was that the courts were not just going to give us a list of names where they had dropped, they, these charges were dropped, they, these people were found incompetent. They just weren't going to do that. Uh, so we had to find these people ourselves, and we went, really reviewed thousands upon thousands upon thousands of court records to identify these people. And we're finding cases where people, you know, it wasn't just Gregory Ulrich who was committing these crimes after being found incompetent. It was many other people in Minnesota. They were committing heinous assaults and sexual assaults and burglaries and robberies. And we found other cases where there were people who were murdered after they, who murdered others after they were found incompetent to stand trial and did not get the treatment or supervision that they needed. And so going through these thousands of cases, I was going to ask how, how you actually uncovered all of this information. Then did you have to figure out case by case whether they received treatment or not? Yeah. So basically I did. <laughs> That's what we had to do because we just, the courts in Minnesota, will, they'll allow you access to individual court cases. But when you want bulk records to court data, they won't give you that when the cases are, they have been, they're open or they're closed without any kind of conviction. I can't access those cases. In a lot of these cases, when you're found mentally incompetent to stand trial, the case is closed or kept open. So therefore, I couldn't access or find out who these people were without really having to dig through court, you know, thousands upon thousands of court records to try and identify some of these cases. 
And for like data geeks out there, I'm glad to tell you how I did it. <laughs> I, maybe that's for a, another episode, Brandon. But well, let me ask. You, you know, there are certainly loads of evidence out there that if someone is experiencing mental instability of one type or another, the treatment can truly help. Yeah, and that's one of the things that we were very, very conscious of as we were doing these stories and these reporting. It's not just a tragedy that somebody was harmed, that the public safety was put at risk. It's also a terrible tragedy that somebody who is mentally ill and needs help, clearly needs help, the police, the courts, our, our, our mental health professionals know this person needs treatment and they're not getting it. And that's frustrating, and, and that's frustrating for the families of all people involved. It's family for, frustrating for the victims, uh, families of the victims involved. It's frustrating for the families who know that their family members, their loved ones, need the help, and they're not getting it. Why, why can't they get it? I mean, in the state of Minnesota, wh- what's going on? Did you get an answer to that ever? Is, is it too expensive? Is it just the process is it's, it's not it's not a process that's working clearly? It's yes to all. Um, it, it, some of this gets into the, the weird details, like, okay, if you're found incompetent to stand trial in Minnesota, it's because you cannot legally participate in your own defense, that you're so mentally ill or mentally incapacitated, incapacitated that that's not a, something you can do. But to be committed for mental health, which is what we put, you know, how we, we describe, you know, being ordered to get into mental health treatment, you need to be found to be a danger to yourself or others. That's a different standard than the criminal standard. And so you have these people who are charged with the crime, they're mentally incompetent, but the courts also say, yeah, but you're not so mentally ill that we're going to order you to get mental health treatment. So that's the first gap. That's the first gray area that we found where somebody like Gregory Ulrich fell into where, yes, he was found mentally incompetent to stand trial, but a judge somewhere said, you know what, you're not so mental. And it wasn't a judge, actually. It was just decision never actually came up. But the basic decision was, yes, you were mentally ill, but you're not so mentally ill that we're going to order you to get mental health treatment. So that was the first problem that we found. And there's another type of case that we found where there are people who are found incompetent to stand trial, and they are committed for mental health treatment. And in this case, what happens is they're committed to our Commissioner of Human Services, the Department of Human Services. But what we found was that DHS has started telling people in 2018, and this is really without any kind of warning, they made a huge policy change saying, okay, you can send somebody to us for mental health treatment, but if we feel that that person doesn't need what they deem to be a hospital level of care, they're going to let that person go. They're going to release that person either back to jail or back to the community, and it's going to be up to somebody else to figure out how to treat that person and how to supervise that person. DHS throws their hands up and says, not us, and ultimately just kind of washes their hands of this. And that's also where we saw a lot of, found a lot of cases where these people who were found incompetent to stand trial, they were committed, were released, and yet they killed somebody anyway. Brandon, I know you talked to a judge and a lawmaker, others who are, are, are very interested in what you've uncovered and have actually already uh, in, in some respects, started looking at this. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so, you know, even before our stories published, we wanted to somehow, we wanted to see, you know, are there people who are concerned about this? One of the challenges that we found was that there weren't a whole lot of people who understood that what they call in, these, in Minnesota these gap cases. 
we would go to most legislators and say, hey, have you heard about this? Is this something you've ever heard of? And they said, no. And so we went to the – he's the, the chair of our Senate Human Services Reform Committee, who, you know, this is something he should know about as being the head of this committee and said, hey, we want to present this to you. We know we're finding all of these cases where people are found incompetent, they're not getting the mental health treatment and supervision that they need, and they're going on to harm other people. We showed him all of this evidence, and he was, he was flabbergasted. He had never heard of this before, and he said, I'm going to call hearings on this, and we're going to find solutions to it. We've spoken with judges who they, they say that their hands are tied because our laws are, so, are not written in a way that allows them to effectively protect the public while making sure that the people who are found incompetent get the treatment that they need. We've spoken with advocates who feel the same. We've spoken with family members who were like, yeah, I mean, I fully understand that my, my brother, my son, he was mentally ill. He was dangerous. And yet he was, you know, one, one person we spoke with said, yeah, but he was home with us. You know, there's this one case that we found where a guy had been charged with with assault for basically sticking a gun at a cab driver because he was he was very mentally ill. It was very cold, and he just wanted to be let out of the cab. He wasn't trying to rob the cab driver. He just didn't know where he was, I think. He found mentally incompetent to stand trial. A judge specifically orders, you are going to go to the Commissioner of Human Services for treatment. The Commissioner of Human Services cannot let you go, cannot do anything with you without a prior approval from the court. It's very clear, you know, and the judge says, you are a danger to yourself or others. Immediately after that court hearing, the guy goes home with his mother. They sent him back to you? Send him back home. Yeah, I, you know, yeah. Are you a doctor? No. Did you know what to do with what you were seeing going on with your son? No, no, no. The fact that this young man was able to walk out of that courtroom is a catastrophic failure to society. Several months go by, he goes completely untreated. There's nobody calling to say, hey, how's he doing? Are you following? Are you taking your medication? There's nothing. In fact, social workers just believe that he goes missing. They tell this to the judge. The judge doesn't order, issue any kind of order to say, oh, gosh, this guy's missing. He's dangerous. It's fine then. There's nothing like that. The guy goes increasingly more mentally ill, more paranoid, more delusional until he's on a bus one night. And he just randomly shoots two people in the face. He killed one, you know, the guy who was who was murdered. Had no idea who he was. I don't even think he, he kind of maybe understood that the guy who was in the bus was maybe some, there was something wrong with him. So he tried to walk away a little, but he was also just going to get off at the next bus stop. He was dead in an instant. Never had to be. Never. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com odyssey. What about other states? And I know you're looking at Minnesota. Did you get any insight into what's going on around the country? Yes and no. You know, the challenge that I think every state really is challenged with these cases. 
So it's not just Minnesota necessarily that is faced with the problem of, okay, when we have somebody who's incompetent to stand trial, who cannot assist in his or her own defense, what do we do here? Other states have come up with solutions that are, are, are somewhat better. Other states have, have not, but there's no, the challenge is that there's no one system to track, like, this is how we're all doing it. Where is the system breaking down? It's different state to state, and that's very difficult to say, okay, well, this one state's doing it right, this one state is not. What we are finding, though, is that Minnesota is unusual in how we basically do not order somebody who is mentally incompetent to get treatment. Every other state, from what we could find, at least has some sort of mechanism to make sure that that person is either getting treatment and or some kind of monitoring, at least for the like first six months to a year out, try to restore that person to competency to be able to stand trial. Most states have something like that. Minnesota does not. Absolutely nothing right now other than a few small programs here and there around the state to restore mentally incompetent defendants back to be able to stand trial. Brandon, what about mental health professionals? Did they weigh in on this? And I mean, are there enough out there able and willing that they could step into this somehow? No, there's certainly not. I mean, there's just our, our mental health system isn't funded nearly to what it, it needs to be. I, I don't think you know, <laughs> even people who are critical of our stories would tell you, no, we don't have the funding that we need for our facilities. We don't have the funding that we need for treatment. We don't have the funding that we need to make sure that the people who are supposed to be supervising, providing the treatment, are getting the, the you know the reimbursement and the resources that they need or to, to take care of this. They don't have that in Minnesota. It's a completely broken, thoroughly broken system. Who You mentioned people who could be critical of the story. What would those responses be in terms of critical response? I think you know, the, the criticism that we, we knew we were going to face from this story, and, and we understand it, is that we do not want to stigmatize the mentally ill. You know, this isn't about... We're not trying to say that people who are mentally ill are inherently dangerous. That's not it at all. We are trying to say that there are people who have severe mental illness, and as a result of that, they can be a danger to themselves or others. It's a very small, small, small percent of the population who are mentally ill, but it exists. And we can't just look away from that. We have to deal with that. And I think even writing about these stories it's going to stigmatize the mental ill no matter what we do. And that's, that's difficult, you know. That's, that's hard to swallow, but at the same time, we also have to do this journalism because it's important. It's critical. We might be able to save lives because of this. Brandon, I know you worked on this with several folks on your team there at CARE 11. Uh, tell us who joined you in the investigation and where people can learn more. So I've been working on this with my... Uh, <laughs> my partner in crime, my um, AJ Legault, is been. Uh, he's you know I'm I'm kind of the background guy. He's the face of these stories. Our editor Steve Eckert, our producer, has been you know really good at kind of taking us out of the weeds, pulling us back, and saying, okay, we're maybe too into the details here. This is what I think people are really going to care about. This is these are the points that we need to make. 
I have a newspaper background, and we would have been working on this probably for a good year before we come out with stories on this. For us to do it for a few months and then come out with a really strong series of stories is remarkable. And folks can, of course, go to care11.com and, and find your story and learn more, right? Care11.com and go to the Care11 Investigates page. It'll be kind of like the, one of the links up at the top of the site. One of the stories we have on now on that page reads, Mentally Ill Suspects Charged with Crimes Go Untreated. The public goes unprotected. And that's the start of our series. Brandon Stahl, investigative reporter and producer at CARE 11. Thank you so much for talking to us. A really fantastic work. Thank you. Truly, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for listening to The Daily Crime. We're here every weekday, Monday through Friday. Be sure to subscribe to the show and give us a great review if you like what you hear. And if you'd like to learn more about the show and Vault Studios, check out our Facebook group, Inside the Crime Vault.